We're rolling. Finally. Welcome to another episode of the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez here with Brad Binkley. How you doing, Binkley? I'm doing good. It's getting a little colder outside, but other than that, I'm I'm doing all right. As a New Yorker, it never really gets cold. A New Yorker. You get that one ice storm. Well, it gets to be about, you know, 40, 30. It might snow once and shut down the whole city. Yeah, that's kind of funny. That's just everybody just... Everybody freaks out. <laughs> I'm actually wondering if it's fake hot for the World Series. Can they do that? I know they can make it rain or make it stop raining, but can they make it hotter? That's a good question. Is that on the I'm switchboard? I'm serious. Like, they're talking about how it's the right... So it's, like, funny because it's the record heat of a World Series ever... And happens to be in Houston in honor of Harvey. And I just feel like how they could possibly make the World Series and the weather political, but they are. Uh, but I guess weather's been political for a while, and I guess sports, you know, could be fixed. They can make anything political. They can make apples and bananas political. Didn't you just play me a commercial from CNN that made a banana political? Yeah, it's a stupid commercial. <laughs> I'm not even going to play it. It's so dumb. <laughs> So here's the thing that's been in the news that upsets me. And I think it's time to go on the record. I don't, I, I, I just feel like there's some details about this PSYOP, psychological operation, that haven't even gotten any airtime in conspiracy circles. So nobody really knows about this as the massive, really set up that it is. It's the... Kate Steinle shooting on the pier in San Francisco. The trial for her alleged killer started this week. That guy's name originally was Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez. And now, for whatever reason, he goes by his supposed birth name, which is Juan Garcia Zapata? Zapata? Something like that. Wait, his name changed? changed? Yes, that's why it was hard for me to find information on him. I kept trying to follow the trial because it's so screwy. Like, it's so screwy what happened here that I knew they couldn't make, like, a real trial, a fair trial, uh, live streamed, you know, like the OJ trial was. They just couldn't do that because I don't think, There are two elements to a crime, actus reus, which means you did the act, and mens rea, which means you had the mentality. You know, you meant to do it. I don't, I actually, he definitely didn't have the mens rea, and I I don't think he had the actus reus either. And I want to tell you a little bit about why I think that, but it has much broader implications because this was the PSYOP that launched Trump's campaign, and that should make you scratch your head a little bit. So, should I just start and then you can slow me down and make me fill in the blanks? How do you want to do this? Why don't you dive in? I don't know all that much about – I know a little bit okay. about it, but I don't know as much about the case as you Ho- do, so just go for it. Hopefully I can get uh, get it all out there. So here's, here's the thing. In, I guess it was June 2015, Donald Trump made a speech that launched his campaign. He announced that he was running for president as a Republican, and he made a speech that made news. It was really unusual for a politician. It's the one where he said, basically, to paraphrase, I think, do you have the clip of this? Or 
Do you not have that clip? I have the clip. Sure. The Donald Trump clip? Yeah. Yeah, I got yeah. it. Play it. The U.S. has become a dumping ground for everybody else's problems. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. And these are the best and the finest. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us what we're getting. And it only makes common sense. It only makes common sense. They're sending us not the right people. It's coming from more than Mexico. It's coming from all over South and Latin America, and it's coming probably, probably from the Middle East. But we don't know, because we have protection, and we have no competence. We don't know what's happening. And it's got to stop. And it's got to stop fast. Okay, so that set the tone for his campaign. Then, what was it, two weeks later, a woman named Kate Steinle was allegedly shot in the back on a pier in San Francisco. She was with her dad and a friend. When I... I mean, I've been watching the news and psyops and false flags, psychological operations, false flag events. I see, this is what I see. Let me explain that. I see an agenda that's going to be rolled out. And right after that is an event that justifies the agenda. So when they start talking about lone wolves, it's always hand in hand with an event of lone wolves. Now, it's not so obvious when an agenda is underway, like black versus blue or mass casualty events, shooters, terrorism, all that stuff. Once this, once that program is underway and these events happen every couple of months, it's not as obvious that the event started after, you know, the launch of the agenda item. It's only when it's an initial thing that you can see it's going to launch a campaign. So when I saw the Kate Steinle thing, which was an illegal immigrant killed her, and it was immediately, like the same day, used to justify, to validate Trump's comments, which had been criticized. So it created immediately this dialectic, this tension, but it validated what Trump said. And I thought, wow, it's a screwy story, and I'll tell you why. It's a screwy story, doesn't look quite right to me, uh... And just the fact that it's something that justified what he said immediately, it was the exact same pattern as I had seen before. And the implications to me of that is, wow, okay, you have local and federal government Democrats in on this, not not all of them, but somebody's in on this who's covering it up at the local and federal level of government, which is was marked by Democrats at the time populated by Democrats and the media, which is highly liberal there. And some of the people covering it were, are known, known extreme liberal now are anti-Trumpers who are not digging in at all to what's really going on here. And they're really covering up what 
is clearly a patsy situation. I mean, I don't, I don't think this guy did it, and I know he didn't mean to do it. I mean, you can just tell there's an, an interview, which we should put in this, uh, in the show notes at propagandareportdaily.com for this episode. The guy's being interviewed by TV, on the TV, and he clearly doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't, he has to think about his age. The age he gives is different from what the jail says his age is, from what the police says his age is. And this guy does not know what's going on. And the reporter is leading him, leading him, leading him, trying to get him to say stuff. He's got an interpreter there who only interprets stuff. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But the guy only interprets the stuff that feeds into what the reporter is trying to get this guy to say. It's so obviously a setup that once I saw that, I said, if, if the public defender is any good, he'll, he knows this guy is just like borderline retarded. And I, and I say this person who has a child with Down syndrome, I don't use that word mockingly. The guy has obviously some serious deficiencies. And, uh, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. But as this week started, this trial, the judge said, the what I think is probably a highly bogus police interview was going to be admitted to court. But this TV interview, which made it clear this guy had no idea what he was talking about. Um, he even says at one point that an officer told him he was going to lock him up so he could commit suicide. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what the guy. But the interpreter doesn't repeat that <laughs> during the TV interview. It only repeats other stuff that feeds into what the reporter's saying. And How the guy you know says that he, he just, said that. What? He How did you that, know yeah. that he said that? I had a friend who speaks Spanish say it, interpret it for me because I said there's all this stuff I can't understand. He said he just wants them to put him somewhere where he can be alone. And I think that's interesting because the guy kept coming back and kept getting put in jail. And finally, the last time he was put in jail, like five years ago, the federal judge said this guy needs medical, needs to be in a medical facility. Well, and he never was put in a medical facility. Right after he was arrested or his first initial pleading, CNN did – I saw this earlier today. They reported that he, he pled not guilty, and the anchor said he clearly didn't know what was going on. They were like, he's, he's pled not guilty, but he clearly didn't know what was going on because he kept responding with the same response regardless of what the question. So it would be, what, what do you plead? Not guilty. What's your age? Not guilty. Where are you from? Not guilty. He kept saying not guilty regardless of what the question was. Yeah, that's what this interview is like. I mean, the guy kept saying to him, are you sorry you shot this woman? And he's saying no. He's like, so you're not sorry? And he says, no, yes, no, I don't know. You know, finally, the guy. I think I remember like, that. Yeah, what would you say to someone who just lost a daughter? Wouldn't you say I'm sorry? You know, as like he says to the interpreter, ask him that question. So then he says whatever, they're talking in Spanish, and he says, tell him to say it in English. And then he says, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, so you're sorry for killing her. Got it. Got to go. You know, that I'm, I'm being, I'm dramatizing it. But if you have the patience to watch the interview with an open mind, there's, it's just, the way the interview was described in newspaper articles was he admitted he did it. He's guilty. He's sorry. He pleads guilty. He just wants to go to jail and pay for his crimes. All this stuff that is being reported from everywhere from the New York times to Wikipedia. You know what I mean? Stuff that people accept as mainstream, the like Vegas little scratch on the surface of this 
reveals the truth. And to my surprise, Cato, which I think was, is a libertarian outlet that's totally been hijacked by the establishment, so I don't put much credence in it, always has an underlying uh, purpose, agenda. They actually get the facts right. Now, their agenda, I think they exist solely to promote immigration for the cheap labor element of it. Because they said to him, why do you keep coming back? I mean, so that's why Cato wants to defend uh, a looser immigration policy. I don't think it comes from a libertarian principle point of view just because it's that organization. But they asked him during this interview, why do you keep coming back? And he said, people with jobs call me to come back, so I come back. So I don't know what that even means. The guy was seriously adult. But um, but I have, like, so much more to tell you. I just don't want to blurt it all out and be confusing. So anyway, but the number one thing is that I feel like if you if you get your mind around the fact that this is a complete – he's a patsy and this is a complete railroading job – then you must admit that the government's in on it, the local government there, and I'm going to tell you about Let me talk, talk about that next. The bigger picture government, because Obama could definitely have figured this out. Well, let's lay out and, the facts of what happened that make it so weird Okay. for people who so, aren't aware of the story. So I'm going to walk you through what he supposedly did. I mean, I've really been digging into a lot of these facts. It took a long time, so I didn't fo- focus on uh, as much on the official narrative as on what I think actually happened. So from what I could tell actually happened is this guy, this is what he was telling a TV reporter, what my friend was helping me understand was like, first of all, he's been in and out of jail for 20 years, always on drug charges. But from what I'm gathering, if I get the timeline right and everything, he went to jail three times for five years each or approximately five years each for just crossing the border. And I think over the last 20 years, he's gotten caught at the border every single time. So he tries to come back and they just put him in jail. Now, I gather from his interview that he just wants to kind of be in jail. He's super poor. He's uh, adult, either drug adult or mentally incompetent. I don't know. My guess is he gets three squares and a cot, you know, at jail. And that's what he wants. So I, I suspected at some point that he was coming over just to go back to jail, that he wanted to go back to jail. And every time he came over and all his crime ever was, was doing drugs. He tried to sell fake drugs. I mean, he supposedly was manufacturing drugs, but obviously I'm sure he was just like a guy in one of those factories. Like, you know, you see the factories where the chicks are in their underwear. Like I'm sure he's just a guy putting stuff in a bag, no mastermind for sure. So he was not really a threat. So when he comes over, he just crosses the border. They get him at the border and they don't turn him back to Mexico. They put him in federal prison for five years. You know how much that cost us? Yeah. A lot. (laughs) Let's just, to put it in round numbers, a lot. And that's what Kate's Law is about. Uh, I I think it has to do with pumping up prison numbers. Like they can't, private prisons cannot continue to grow unless they have more and more prisoners, they're actually having to bring prisoners in from other, you know, from across the border to fill those prisons up. So that, that was his situation. So he was in a jail, like serving his, the end of his third, like five year term, whatever it was. I had, there were different reports. It was like five years and three months or 46 months in already. I don't know if he was sentenced to five, three and he got, he was getting out after four years. I can't, 
it's not crystal clear. But yeah, but he was in the media. The way it was portrayed was convicted felon who had been in and out of jail. Yeah, it was. He was a convicted felon on the drug charges, and he was in and out of jail, like basically exclusively for immigration stuff. Uh, and so he was in jail, and he was ready. So after he finished his sentence, I mean, this is a messed up strategy of how to deal with this stuff because he's getting stopped every time over the border. So let so it's possible that that we are being misled about how easy it is actually to get across the border, and if they can stop them every time and throw them back. Why would we put him up in prison for, you know, a million bucks or whatever for basically this guy's life? So he's about to get out and they're going to deport him. And what they do is they check uh, either the Department of Justice or ICE immigration checks to see if there's any outstanding warrants. Here's the weird thing, though. He has been in and out of jail like six times, something like that. Uh and the Department of Justice never followed up on this on his one remaining warrant, which was a 20-year-old $5,000 bond marijuana possession for sale charge, which is not even something that's prosecuted anymore in San Francisco. The DOJ never, ever called San Francisco before all the times this guy was deported or put in jail or anything. They never did that. This time they called, but they absolutely should have known there was no way they were going to prosecute this case. So they call and the sheriff of San Francisco gets the call and he, he requests. So he, so the DOJ was weird for them to call in the first place. In response, the sheriff, uh, Mir, Mir, Mir Karimi, his name is, the sheriff requests that he comes back. They said, yeah, okay, bring him to San Francisco on that charge. So the DOJ brings him in on the charge. The next day, the prosecutor sees it and dismisses the charges because it's not something they prosecute. They don't prosecute that anymore, and the sheriff should have known it, and DOJ should have known it. So the sheriff detains him for three weeks, keeps him in jail, and actually double-checks with the DOJ that he's finished all his felony time and that he's free to be released. But during that time, neither the DOJ nor the sheriff calls ICE. So ICE, the DOJ should have, when he was released from federal custody, federal custody, not a sanctuary city thing, he was supposed to go straight to ICE and ICE was going to deport him. The DOJ finds this obscure thing, calls the San Francisco sheriff. The sheriff says, oh, yeah, for sure, bring him in, immediately gets dismissed. Now, the sheriff doesn't release him right away. He detains him for three weeks while he communicates with the DOJ but not ICE. Now ICE thinks he's getting prosecuted. So they're not going to, they're just waiting for a call. They're not like calling the sheriff every day. They think this guy's going back to jail. And it's, it's, it's key to point out, which relates to what you mentioned earlier is that this guy's not fighting back. He doesn't know what's going on. He probably doesn't speak the language or, you know, he probably doesn't, he probably has no idea that this is happening. So they're picking an easy target to exploit. I think they were picking because there's a weird quote. That's good that you say that. Let me find this. There's, I have just so it's so hard with this because nobody's really covering it right. So I had to go through the Wikipedia and, and print out all their their footnote articles. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like just to get one fact here or there, it's super annoying. So wait, what did you just say? You just said I said that they're taking yeah, a guy yeah. who's not fighting back, who might not even understand what it is that they're saying, so he's easy yeah. to exploit. He's got nobody uh, fighting for him either. He doesn't have family over here that's helping him out. At least, not that I recall. Uh, 
I feel like they knew he had this article so interesting. Uh, no, they, I, I don't have it here, but I feel like they knew, they knew that he was, um, mentally incompetent, uh, because that was in his record and they were looking for him specifically. And when, and they even said, uh, please notify us. If the hold, please notify us if he, oh, so the sheriff asked the DOJ, the Department of Justice, to hold him. They said, asked, they asked prison officials on March 23rd to hold him and to notify San Francisco authorities when the subject is ready for pickup to face this $5,000 bench warrant. Now, this is a place that says they will not hold prisoners without a legitimate like federal warrant or whatever. And this is a thing that was gonna, that ultimately was dismissed the next day. It says, please notify us if the hold cannot be placed or the named subject is released to another jurisdiction prior to our receipt. So they wanted to make sure they got him. He arrived on March 26th and the marijuana case against him was discharged the following day and he was returned to the jail. Uh, sheriff's deputies for three weeks saw clarification from the sheriff's legal division, uh, and they ultimately concluded they had no basis to hold him. But see, here's the thing about this law. They say the sanctuary city law is that they won't detain people for no good reason, but they didn't have to hold him or detain him. It's not a sanctuary city law that they can't release them to ICE. They can release them to ICE. They just can't detain them for no reason, but they did detain him for no reason. They detained him for three weeks and then let him go. The DOJ knew, but ICE did not know. Uh, and you said that this was on a charge that was 20 years old. Yeah, and and this uh, legal counsel, Freya Horn from the Sheriff's Department, said uh, that the sheriff, her own office, had dispatched a private transportation outfit to San Bernardino to pick up Lopez Sanchez. San Bernardino, I think, is hours and hours from San Francisco. That seems, it seems kind of amazing that after all this time, he was brought back here for this purpose. A former U.S. attorney in San Francisco said that this request was very unusual. The officials should have, sheriff should have checked with local prosecutors and opted not to intervene. So, so here's the thing. The sheriff is this guy, Mir Karimi. Mir Karimi, who is a, quite a character. He founded the Green Party in San Francisco. He uh, was the first person to spearhead a movement to get plastic bags banned. He was elected in 2011 to be sheriff of San Francisco, but before he could take office on New Year's 2012, his wife uh, let her friend videotape a big bruise she got well, she, that he gave her. So he's on probation for three years for domestic abuse, but the Board of Supervisors chose not to suspend him as sheriff. So he was not permitted to carry a gun, but he was sheriff. <laughs> then then he, uh, he does all this nonsense, and when he was up for re-election right after this, he was not re-elected. But one thing is that he went on TV and said, I don't understand. Here, let's see what he said. Um... It says he the sheriff demanded to know why federal authorities returned 
Francisco Lopez Sanchez, whatever, to San Francisco in the first place. Uh, this is an article from Town Hall. No, it's this article, I think, from a San Francisco paper. The answer, it turns out, is that the sheriff's department asked for federal officials to do so. So he asked for it, as I said earlier, but he denied it. And then the mayor comes out and says, look, you you did not have to do this. This is not part of sanctuary city law. And it was not part of sanctuary city law at that. It just wasn't. And um, so this guy got this guy out. The sheriff, Mayor Kimi, got this particular guy out. Uh, let's see what else I got. Yeah. So so here they have this this guy. They release him onto the streets of San Francisco. He has nothing in his pocket. No ID, no money, nothing. From what I can piece together from my friend listening to his testimony or whatever, his interview, he said there's a place where you can go that has, like, free clothes and medicine and stuff. So he went there, and they had sleeping pills. So he, he's a drug guy. He's – I don't know if he's adult or what. So somebody gave him sleeping pills. So somebody gave him sleeping pills. I, see, I thought I, the story it, was he found them. Yeah, it was confusing. It doesn't sound like, from what my friend was saying, it doesn't sound like he just found them in a dump. That it's a place where they have, like, extra stuff like oh, that. Oh, so this is based on your friend's interpretation of well, this, his statements. Well, this last thing was, yeah, but I don't speak Spanish, despite right. my name. Uh, so she was just saying and listening to him, I don't know why she even mentioned that in particular, of all the things that she could have pointed out to me, that was the one thing she said. Let me see if I can say her exact. Uh, he said that there is an area where you can find discarded pill bottles and clothes. He didn't just go to some random trash can. Okay. Discarded. So maybe he did just pick it up. I don't know. So he took pills, sleeping pills, and he was sitting on a bench. And from what I can tell, because he said a lot of this interview in English, he said there was a fluffy package, a fluffy package by his foot. And when he went to pick it up, uh, and started to unwrap it. It was, I guess the gun was in a t-shirt, whatever. When he started to unwrap it, now I didn't hear him really say he saw a gun, but he said he heard three loud shots. So he he's told that he did it. He doesn't remember doing it, nothing like that. But for me- Wait, hold on a second. This, yeah. He's on the pier asleep, and he woke yes. up on the pier while people are moving around him. He was on a bench. This, yes, this okay. is, that is what I understand what he was saying. And when he went to reach down to pick up this package that was against his leg, he said repeatedly against his leg, he heard the shots when he picked it up and started to unwrap it. And, and from what I can tell, somebody told him that, this, that he did it. So, but here's the thing. This Sig Sauer, what do you call it? Sig Sauer? How do you say that? It's a gun name. A Sig. Let's call it a Sig. A 40 caliber from what I read, it said, so what he did was, so people said, so the experts are saying now that there's no way a gun like that would just go, go off automatically. And I would like to say, I've shot handguns. I don't think you could accidentally shoot it three times and it stay in your hands loosely. You know what I mean? It would just, I just can't, once it went off once, I would think it would, you know, if it's, it would, it would drop out of your hands or, you know what I'm saying? To go three times uh, seems impossible. But here's the an interesting point about that is 
when you when there are pictures of the scuba divers retrieving the gun from the water. So supposedly he threw the gun into the water. What they're handing up is a gun case, handgun case, a black plastic looking you know case for a gun. That's what they're handing up. That's what they're saying is the weapon. Now, that's not wrapped in a T-shirt, and there's no way it would go off by itself if it was in that case. And to add to the confusion, I think it was like a week before the crime, that gun was supposedly stolen from the private vehicle of a Bureau of Land Management agent, a federal officer. It's a government gun. Yeah, they, they typically leave their guns in cup holders with their windows down and doors unlocked. I didn't know if... It was in his backpack it. and the window got broken, supposedly. But I don't think he reported it. I don't think he reported it until after. I didn't see any... It, it, like, it was worded weird, like uh, this guy said it was stolen a week ago. And I was like, hmm. So, none of that Makes sense. What about his sleeping pills? Did he report those missing as well? I guess those were discarded. I don't know. But but in any case, the supposedly the gunshot, the bullet that killed her, ricocheted off the pier. So that in itself, and I think the public defender is arguing this, that in itself is enough to discount the possibility of mens rea, of intentional, of murder. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't say it's murder. You can only say it's whatever, like involuntary manslaughter or something. Maybe voluntary manslaughter. No, I think even then it would have to be involuntary manslaughter. So for me, there's no way this guy did it. He's a patsy. The, the, the reporter is interviewing him, is setting him up. It's disgusting. The, uh, I don't know about the public defender, if that guy... Mac Gonzalez is doing his very best. I just, I don't know. He did try to get that TV interview in and it was denied. Now that would be grounds for appeal in my opinion. And maybe even the police, you know, video, not sure. I haven't seen that, but uh, if there is an appeal, but see, that's the thing. If you have the appeal or, or if this guy gets uh, exonerated, people aren't going to believe it. You know what I mean? People aren't going to believe it because uh, and this is this this is how this this culture of like oh the guy the perpetrator is shot dead at the scene or he's dead now so no need for a trial. I mean, the fact that we don't try people if they if cops happen to be lucky enough to kill the guy on the scene that has gotten people to get you know the general public to presume guilt. So this guy's innocent. So when you say. People yell at me. I'm like, this guy's innocent. They're like, how could you want a murderer to go free? Like, I don't want a murderer to go free. I think he's innocent, but nobody's going to believe it. And uh, they're going to say, this is absolutely travesty of justice. That guy went free, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. They're saying that some of the main evidence that is being presented today is images that tourists took. They, they say they got a still shot of the suspect and of the victim. That one of the tourists and that one of the tourists took, and that's being presented today as evidence. One of the main pieces of evidence. There, I can't find a picture of it anywhere. I guess I'm not going to. Yeah, I'd it. love to see it because I remember the big, the biggest kind of false flag or psyop that I really immersed myself in. I would say that my work on this was as probably better than anybody's was the Boston Marathon bombing, and. 
the, the second brother, the younger brother, was a picture was leaked shortly after his arrest from the hospital where the articles at that time were saying he was hooked up on respirators. He just had this long surgery and all this kind of stuff. The picture was him with no respirators at all, no IVs, nothing. And what looked like liver mortis in the back of his neck, like blood was pooling up. So it looked to me and to other people who looked at it that he was dead. And I said at that moment, because I was it absolutely, I thought it was undeniable the guy was dead, that you'd never see a picture of this guy again. So for two years, you never saw a picture. Even when he went to trial, you never saw a picture. And I know they were following me and my coverage of this. Like I was getting weird phone calls and um, emails and stuff. So I feel like I was on the radar of this one, um, of whoever wanted to kind of control the narrative. Uh, I'm not going to get totally into that. But so what, so right after I said, like two years later, I told you you'd never see a picture of this guy again. I mean, like two days later, the Boston Globe comes up with this weird picture of him in a jail cell. It's hard to see, blah, blah, blah. So my guess is this picture that you're talking about is going to be hard to see could be manipulated. You know what I'm saying? They have enough time. They can fabricate stuff. Yeah, they say that, and like I said, they're not showing it. They say three pictures, three photos were captured, images of Garcia Zarete, or however you say it, and victim Kate Steinle. They show Garcia dressed in black, sitting on the chair, and Steinle with her back to the camera. Lo, this is one of Steinle's – no, this is one of the people who took the picture – testified that moments later she heard a bang and saw Steinle on the ground. Lowe says she did not notice whether Garcia held anything in his hands. Okay, so my theory of the crime is that somebody shot, you know, that those three shots that Garcia heard were not from the thing he was holding in his hand. The fluffy package he was holding in his hand was not. So if that chick looked away, I, I don't dispute that, the, he was, that this guy was there. And that those gunshots sounded. I don't know if they were blanks. They really killed the girl. I really have no idea about that. So what you just described to me is consistent with what I think was probably the setup. Yeah, I would like to see those images too. Just, I want to see yeah. just how, how, how well they look to see if they seem yeah. like that person knew where to be to take the pictures. Like I wonder what that person was taking a photo of. Kate Steinle's back. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to I want to read just maybe a couple of quotes about. Here's the thing. So Kate's law is to me just designed to fill up prisons, and I feel like that's a major. Uh, I'm not going to say it's like a major agenda item. It's it's a minor agenda item, but it's it's a major crony. Item Like, there were three things I saw in the paper today. Hold on. Yes, I saw, like, AT&T AT was tanking, but Caterpillar and Lockheed were skying because uh, rising demand for construction and mining gear for Caterpillar and for Lockheed uh, defense contracts going up. So... And I wrote in the margin, Trump is targeting both of those industries, and that's why they're going up. Same thing with prisons. I think prisons, private prisons are being targeted by this administration for growth, 
it's so corrupt. Oh my gosh. If you dig into the corruption of private prisons, oh my goodness gracious. It's really disheartening. And it makes me weirded out by Jeff Sessions, who I don't agree with like his, his, uh, general, you know, I'm a libertarian, so I'm not going to believe in his authoritarian approach to law enforcement, but even guys like that generally focus on murder, rape, theft, but he's focusing on gun possession, drugs, and immigration. I mean, these, those are three things that, uh, should not necessarily, the reason you have full jails, that your jails are full is because of stuff like that, because real violent crimes against persons and people are harder, you know, fewer people commit those kind of crimes. You're really not going to have the highest incarceration rates in the world, which is what we have in the United States, just based on that kind of crime. Because that kind of crime also comes from poverty and stuff that we don't really suffer from. What you're going to get really high prison rates from is uh, what they call mala prohibita crimes rather than mal and say crimes. So it's not in, like per se, like on its own, it's bad per se, that's like crimes against personal property. But if it's bad, mal, because it's prohibited, mal is prohibited, you're going to get um, a lot more people do stuff like that. Prostitution, drugs, own guns, which should not be prohibited. Immigration laws are are not, and people are like anti-immigration, they think that they're like inherently violent things. Like, but no, that you actually have a right to work and travel and uh, and I understand I'm not like your knee jerk open borders libertarian. I wish we had a free society where you could do that. Our society is so screwed up that immigration is used as a weapon all around the world. So I like to keep my eyes open about that. But uh, but people will do it. They'll swim over the Rio or whatever. I don't think there's much water left in that anymore. But they'll go over for a job like this guy. He didn't care. if he, He's like, whether I go to jail or get a job, I don't care because I'm dirt poor. And and he's not actually doing anything inherently wrong. Like even when he did drugs, it's not inherently wrong. You know, is it inherently wrong for you to have a beer? Is it inherently wrong for you to uh, take an Ambien if you have a prescription? Is it inherently wrong for you to take an Ambien if you don't have a prescription? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. So it's not inherently wrong. Wait, was it and, Ambien that he took? No. Well, maybe I don't know. I, that, really I mean, know. that's but an important question though. because if it was an Ambien. Yeah. People yeah. black out on those things. And they kill, and they have, kill yeah. I don't know if they, they kill people, but I'm saying it would make sense that he would have no idea, you know, what had just happened. Absolutely. And could hallucinate. And actually, no, there was an Ambien defense in Dallas, I believe. The guy stabbed his wife and said it was because he was on Ambien. And I tell you the truth, I might believe that. I took it a couple of times. I threw it in the garbage. I've seen people who are on I it. loved it at first. <laughs> yeah, you get crazy right. on it. And they, they recall nothing about it. I accidentally, did I tell you the story about being on a plane to Australia? Mm-mm. I I took, I had tens, which are big, and they're not large in size, but that's a lot. But I was going to like a 22-hour trip, and like I'm so bad with jet lag, it just kills me. It ruined my whole vacation. I, I'm not over it until I get back. It's awful. So I talked to somebody who travels a lot. He said, take two of those. I said, take two of them? You're crazy. He said, just take two of them. It's not going to kill you. You sleep the whole time. I was like, okay. So I took two of them. Then I woke up because it's really screwy. Like the time, it was probably two in the afternoon and I woke up and I couldn't remember at all. So I took an, I don't know. I think I took another one. Like, I really don't know if I had taken two at first or I took one at first. I just don't know because I was so, 
incapacitated, but I was still up and moving around. Yeah. So it's bad news. It's bad news. So I, I was so at my friend's anxious. house and she took one. I was helping her move. She took one because she was going to go to bed and try to get up early. And then like an hour later, I was packing stuff in her house still. She came down and started cooking something. Didn't remember any of it the next day. They say if you take one, you go to, go to sleep right away. Otherwise, yes. there's no telling what you'll do. So I, yeah. why is that not a central question in this case would be my question. Why are they not – what was that pill he took? Why wasn't there a blood test drawn? Oh, yeah. That's a great – that is a great question. Yeah, a blood test would have been great because if it was so so much that it could actually be convincing that he could not be held accountable – like, if you're so blisteringly drunk when you kill somebody, they do not charge you with second-degree murder. You know what I mean? You go to jail. But you don't go to jail for second-degree murder. Yeah, I think I saw something where somebody got a lighter sentence. A guy killed his wife, I think. I think they found that it was some sort of – he was under some sort of psychosis because of uh, – I think it was a cigarette. It was a, a medication – it tries to help people wean off cigarettes. Oh, like Wellbutrin? I don't know what it was, but it really yeah. messes people up, apparently. Yeah, I mean, this stuff is dangerous. And, and look, so the stuff that prescription drugs are dangerous. But this, and this guy was adult for years doing really crazy drugs, that whatever he could get a hold of. I think he probably has some kind of mental illness, and he was trying to deal with that. But, but anyway, so I think this Kate Laws thing is about the prisons. You get a lot of press these days about old prisons, guys escaping from prisons all the time. You'll see things like that. I really feel like we're being set up to put a, maybe it'll be in that trillion dollar infrastructure plan. We're getting set up to put a lot of money into prisons. And this Kate's law would be like mandatory minimums. And I told you this before, uh, that. I was watching Fox and the two guys, it was like a legal expert and a, and a trusted anchor, were going back and forth about how there's no no penalty whatsoever for repeat offenders like this guy who keep coming over and get deported again, which is bull. This guy was deported, uh, it was put into prison for, for 15 years because of this stuff. So Kate's Law just wants to increase the prison population. Uh, the Sanctuary City Law did not... At this time, the sanctuary city law wouldn't even – you could have detained this guy because trafficking, it was like rape, murder, sexual abuse, um, assault with a deadly weapon, and trafficking were the five things that if you had a conviction, they could detain you, that they could detain you for ICE. So Kate's law wouldn't have prevented this guy from – No, absolutely not. That's what they always do. Something happens, and they just present yeah. some legislation that wouldn't have stopped whatever it was that just happened. Well, how about the Iraq War? Taking Saddam Hussein out wouldn't have stopped nine eleven. <laughs> you know, it's just—it's—I mean—that's the magnitude of how that false uh, those those arguments. That's how you powerful know, it is when you can. There was a law that would have stopped it. It was just a policy, and they changed it immediately. So, um. It says the DOJ decision. Uh, it says DOJ could have referred Lopez Sanchez to ICE for deportation, but inexplicably decided to honor the San Francisco request uh, instead of the request from ICE that DOJ detain him for deportation. 
Um, it's even stranger because DOJ never contacted San Francisco before uh, Lopez's three other deportations. It says the DOJ decision was the only reason that Lopez Sanchez came to San Francisco in 2015, not a lack of border security or insufficient interior enforcement. Attorney General Loretta Lynch announced in February 2016 that DOJ would no longer release individuals who may be deportable to localities without going through ICE first. So this guy would not have been in San Francisco in a sanctuary city if the sheriff had not asked him to. Whereas during his report, during the reporter's interview of him, and I saw a headline that said this, a headline that said, Lopez went to San Francisco because it's a sanctuary city. Yeah. And and that's just not true. It's not true. He went there because the sheriff dragged him there and then released him. Yeah. So that they're telling people he went there because it's a sanctuary. So they actually say that he said that, but he was that's right. There. And yes, and if you, that's why you should watch this that this right. interview with the report. Yeah. So I wonder if he actually said it or someone said, "Did you come here because it's a sanctuary city?" And he just yeah, said that's yes. what they did. Yeah, yeah, I was watching it. That because he starts to say it in English. It's right at the beginning of the interview. You don't have to commit the whole forty-five minutes to it. Just if we post it with the show, people can watch it for themselves. It's so weird. I looked up his real name because yeah. his name was different on a Yahoo image search, and pictures of naked women came up. Oh, it's like getting Rick rolled. Yeah, exactly. It's just a weird. I mean, it's not just like one girl that has the same name. It's like a, it's a handful. It's kind of it's strange. The whole thing is strange, <clears throat> and the. The idea that this launched Trump's career and one of the reporters who was following it in the beginning now spends all his time uh, riling people up against Trump. So I tweeted at him repeatedly. I said, you want to invalidate Trump? You want <laughs> you want to expose what's really going? And this was the guy who wrote Dark Alliance about Gary Webb. Yeah. He wrote this. No, he didn't write Dark. Gary Webb wrote Dark Alliance. This guy wrote the screenplay for. um Kill the Messenger, which was the story of Gary Webb, who exposed the CIA crack connection uh, and the fact that the CIA was pushing crack through the inner cities of L.A. I'm not kidding. And the guy at the San Jose Mercury News, Gary Webb, and this other guy was there. I forget his name for a while. He uh, was ruled as having killed himself with a suicide by shooting himself twice in the head. And and this guy, when he wrote Kill the Messenger, mentioned that. So I don't know what the story is, but when I tried to contact this guy, maybe didn't get it. I don't know, but I couldn't understand why he didn't try to expose the, the truth behind the Kate Steinle case, which is this guy's a patsy and the government on the left and right and the media on the left and right from the local to the national level are all... Uh, you know, they don't even have to conspire. My telling you the story right now, people in the mainstream media, like, freak out on you when you start talking like this. That's not what it says. Read the New York Times. I'm like, I know, but the New York Times is wrong. Yeah. Because I can't, you know what I mean? I know it's wrong. And, and then people freak out. Callers freak out. So I know it doesn't have to be a conspiracy so much as just all this pressure. And I know you have a word for it, but just to emphasize, when I say this stuff on the air and I have callers, they call and yell at me. The Twitter people, they yell at me that you want to get this guy free. I'm like, stop. Like, just listen. I'm trying to say this is all BS. So, but I just would expect more from that guy. Maybe the public defender can't 
can't speak out about it. I tried to communicate with them too because I just couldn't find this guy's trial anywhere. Little did I know they changed his name like a month ago, which sort of just fell off my radar. It's also interesting, as you pointed out, where you directed me um, towards his family, his brother and his parents. I did, I did some research on it. I didn't do a whole lot of research, so there might be some stuff out there, but kind of a surface level research and you even adjusting the dates to try and block off like the recent reports and the reports from 2016 and 2015, I can't find anything about any of them before to, before that event happened in 2015. Her brother, Brad Steinley, created a Twitter account right after the event happened. Oh, after? Yeah, after it happened, tweeted like 11 tweets and hasn't tweeted since then. So he, he tweeted How for about a month. We, yeah. It's just – it's weird, and it, it is strange to me that there's – it's hard to find information about them because it does make sense that people might not want to be bothered and might have their their stuff scrubbed, and you can pay people a lot of money to scrub you from the internet these days. But the question I have is is why? What 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 other possibilities might might there be that everything about them is scrubbed? And I watched a couple of those interviews, and one thing that they, they emphasized, the interviews that you sent me, is the parents emphasize this. Megan Kelly emphasizes this when she's interviewing the son, and the son, uh, Brad Steinley, emphasizes this. They, they keep saying, you're not from a political family. We're from an apolitical family. We're not political at all. We're not political. But in my opinion, when they're saying those things, I don't. It doesn't feel like they're being honest. They have a lot of behavioral tells, like they're they're blinking a lot, they're licking their lips a lot, they're holding their breath a lot when they start talking about that. Even Megyn Kelly didn't seem to believe it when she said they're apolitical. So that that seems like that was a agreed upon talking point that they were going to push so that they could then push politics. So I think they were I was very pretty political. shocked. That is interesting to me because they seem so political because they showed up. And testified in Congress in favor of Kate's law three weeks after this happened. So it happened July 1st. They were in Congress July 21st, which as a person who has experienced many tragedies in our family, I just, I think that's unlikely. I mean, the shocking tragedies like that, the shock really knocks the wind out of you. Tragedies you see coming, you you can you can function afterwards. But this kind of stuff, I just I find that very difficult to to believe unless they were hyper political. You know what I mean? Unless I, I they, that the only thing that com- comforts them is getting on that political horse. Yeah, there's something there. They were either already political or there's some sort of you know. I found the, I found the interview with Megyn Kelly to be. Not as bad as the Virginia shooting one where the dad is an actual actor and the boyfriend seems to be gay. So, I mean, I just find it hard to believe that that they were, you know, he had this gorgeous girlfriend who he loved. He's running for office, or he was running for office, by the way. Oh, is he? Well, I I don't mean to uh, presume I know anything about his his personal life. I'm just saying that it seems poorly cast. Poorly cast. That's when he launched his political career is from that event. And then, and I felt like her, Brad Steinley was similarly not believable. He was definitely a strange, a strange bird in that interview. There's no doubt about that. He's definitely political. I mean, he's almost, 
the buildup, they're saying, you're not political, you're not political. He's just he, – he's totally political. It was obvious. But he also doesn't like Trump. And it's all very strange. It's, the, the strangest part about it for me is that you can't find any information on any of them before 2015. And I want to know why that is. Why? What yeah, because the dad out? looks like a spook. Yeah, they're, they're getting – they're like, we got to get all this information off the internet because it's going to undermine the story that we're telling. That's, that's my opinion. I wonder if they're just made up family. <laughs> like they didn't exist. Do you think that it didn't happen? You think it was a complete hoax? Well, I don't know about – see, I, I really – with the hoax thing, if you ever saw any kind of deep analysis of that Iranian uprising with the it, – it, it got so much press. What was her name? Naweed or Noor or uh, Naya? What oh, was her yeah. name? Uh, Nahara, no. something like that. I know who you're talking just, about. Are you talking about the testimony before Congress that that gave George Bush the fuel to get public support for the Gulf War? Um, the incubator, the babies uh, pulled out of the incubators. No, that was the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter, and she was completely lying. Um, Nita, Nita, N-E-D-A. It was really hyped all the time on the radio, whatever probably on TV too, but I wasn't as plugged in back then. Nita, you, you might remember the pictures of her being shot in, uh, in a protest in Iran. And what year was it? 2009. And if you, I don't, this was before I was awake in any way. And then later I went back and looked at some analysis. I haven't looked at it in a long time, but I think my judgment was accurate at the time. If you look closely, it looks like a staged, event. It does not look real. However, the story was, now this part, I got to wonder, but the story was that she went along, she was helping them stage this, make it big drama, had like a little blood sack or whatever, make it look crazy, scary, whatever. And then later on, they shot her, you know, in private so that she would never be walking around again. And you can see that with, like, a lot of the patsies. Like, I look at the Boston Marathon bombing, and it's definitely not what they tell you it is. But the Sonia brothers are dead, that's for sure. You look at the San Bernardino thing, that wasn't what they said it was. But those two alleged perpetrators are dead. Uh, and if this guy is telling the truth, that they asked him to, the officer said, we want you to go in the cell and kill yourself. Like, that's interesting to me. But I'm just saying that, uh, do I think it's a hoax? Do I think that she's not dead? Do I think it's not real? It, it wouldn't surprise me if it, if she's just a patsy like this guy. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, and that either she was shot right there or she was um, not shot at all or shot later, you know. But but for, the, for them to have found the perfect family to come out for Kate's Law, every single one of them, they close ranks. Here we are within three weeks advocating on Capitol Hill for Kate's Law, this weird thing that, that wouldn't even have changed the outcome. You know what I mean? Like these people, something like that happens. You want to know what about it. So though, if, any, if I can find the truth and could find it right away, they could find the truth and they would know that Kate's Law does not actually address the situation. Yet every one of them supports it. So would they just randomly kill some chick walking down the street and end up with this outcome? I think not a chance in the world. If they actually killed her and she's some kind of patsy, would these guys be playing their role? Only if they're in fear for their lives, which I yeah. think some of like the Sarnayas are. Uh, but so it's such a fishy story 
that I can't, I don't buy it. And, and I still circle back to everybody thinks it's about Kate's law. I circle back and say, yeah, yeah, it's definitely being multitasked. Has that law even passed? Uh, I don't think, I don't think it has. It's been rejiggered several times. It's just about pumping up prison populations. They simply don't have enough criminals in this country. They're working on it. Well, you yeah, know, it's also it's also a public opinion thing. Like it doesn't matter that it hasn't passed. When you say Kate's law or you evoke this story, it powerful like you said earlier, powerful feelings emerge and you can't even talk about. It. So that this is a this is a propaganda technique to rile public opinion up to shape it in the immigration debate. Yeah, well, the immigration debate definitely is it's the primary goal is conflict. But I, if I recall correctly, I think case law passed one chamber and not the other. I think that's the status at this time. I would have to double check. Uh, yeah, but but for me, this isn't. The Cates Law thing right. is absolutely minor because it's just about this prison cronyism. They'll get their prisoners. For me, the absolute most interesting thing about this is that it launched, it validated Trump's candidacy two weeks after he launched it with the kind of vitriol that shocked us, but then uh, became this in-your-face uh, anti-establishment hallmark of the Trump movement. And and it wouldn't that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't validated by this event. And this event would not have validated him if anybody close to it called BS on it. Yeah, I, nobody in the Republican Party was going to do that because they were all attempting to use it. He, right, but Democrats were in control. Obama, San Francisco. Right. That you know what I mean? The Democrats are in control and the press is liberal. That's true. The press there on the ground. That's what I'm saying. It, that's what blows my mind about this. This was on Obama's watch. I mean, that's when I circle back and say, maybe, maybe the chance is now up to 5% that Hillary knew what she was doing. Yeah. I don't know. That possibility lowered for me today, actually. How? Why? Because now they're reporting, and this isn't a surprise really to me, but it's a surprise that they're reporting it the way they are now. And I have a theory as to why, but they're reporting that the Clintons and the DNC paid for the the steal, the P dossier. Yeah, it's, but so what? Who cares? Well, that's kind of taken – That's they were pretty hard on Donald Trump Jr. recently because he went and met with a lawyer – to try and do opposition research. They were acting like that was the worst thing in the world. Now they have proof that the Clintons paid for false opposition research that was a pretty pretty slanderous, if not, you know. Do def- you think that are you do you think that either of them is going to go to jail or have to pay meaningful sums of money? No, as I a don't. Result of I don't, but here I, I think that just like uh Weinstein was thrown under the bus, or maybe willingly, like you said, he's gonna get a payout. Clinton, Hillary this is kind of tossing her into the bus a little bit too by ta- by ta- taking this hit and what this does. See, I see this as the media reestablishing their credibility because nobody believes them anymore. If you can throw Weinstein, a huge liberal, under the bus and you can throw Clinton, make it look like you took down Weinstein, make it look like you took down Clinton, then you can suddenly say we're not biased. We'll take down our own. I think it's all part of rebuilding their but credibility. I, yeah, but I don't think that, that – 
if you think of these people as I do, which is they think of us as cattle. They don't care what we think. So you can throw her under the bus all day long, but it's a bus that does not hurt her because she has what she wants, which is her bubble and her money and whatever. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't care. She's above it. So for me, unless they're actually, I mean, even I would even go to a Jeff Epstein jail. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't even think that's a big deal. I I just feel like that doesn't sway me to think that she wasn't in on it. You know, and the fact that she wore such zombie makeup for her first appearance after the loss, I mean, that haunts me. That was really hamming it up. And why would you ham it up if you were really, as she said, gobsmacked, if you were really gutted and devastated? You would try I remember after my son had was born with down syndrome and i was just like sat out you know just sat there i couldn't even get dressed properly for like a week when i finally went out boy did i try to look good like i put makeup on you know i really really tried be like wow you look great it's like I don't yeah <laughs> I, I get what you're saying and she did do that but i think that's always been her strategy she's always played the victim yeah, very well and that's what a victim does she's going to come out and make it look like she looks terrible because if she looks horrible the worse she looks the more it looks like she just was ran through it the more sympathy people are going to have for her and the more she can reemerge you know the i don't know the the eagle reemerging yes. from the ashes the phoenix yeah the phoenix, phoenix. the phoenix but she can do that thing. in public but what if the whole reason you got the impression of her victimhood that entire time was all of a piece? If it was all the same psychological operation, I will say at least this much, that I, I will give, give the possibility, say there's a possibility of Cruz, Trump, or Hillary, any one of them was a, uh, you know, the shadow government's choice. You know, I'm not sure this day in 2015 when Trump launched his campaign, the fix was in and they were sure it was going to be him. That I'm not sure. Maybe for a long time they thought it could have been Hillary, could have been Cruz, could have been him. And I say that because each of the three of them were set up with legitimacy issues. Yeah. That And that to me is like they were going to play the legitimacy card. That's what they've been doing from Obama with Kenya, from the hanging Chad. What was Trump's the- legitimacy? Issue. What? What was Trump's legitimacy issue? That Russian hacking got him elected. Right. Okay. Okay. And then Hillary says that illegal immigrants got her elected, and Ted Cruz was Canadian. He actually is Canadian. Yeah. That, for those purposes, he had to be naturalized here. That Obama had, was born in Kenya. That um, that Bush had the hanging chad and the flipped kingpins in Ohio. Like, there's all. They always have legitimacy problems, and I'm absolutely convinced it's so we no longer accept democracy. Oh, and yeah. I mean, I think that's always the goal, and actually in that right, right – That's why I think those two were, were actual runners because they had those issues in the wings. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it going both ways. I could see them manipulating it, and I could see them having people in the wings – Hillary has played the victim since – like I went back and watched a bunch of her every campaign debate she ever – during the election. I went back and watched like however – decades of uh, her campaign oh, so things. Her number one go-to every time is I'm a victim. He's a sexist man, and other than Obama, he's also a racist man. That, that's it's been funny because her thing, yeah. 
she's the least victim. It's like Michelle Obama. Yeah. You know, acting yeah. sweet. It's like, if you ever go back, she was, I mean, I feel like she, even her appearance makes you, you know, she was not, that wasn't her thing. Her thing was that she was this hard hitting lawyer. Very. Somebody commented on one of our videos recently. He said, you might want to look into that. Uh, Michelle's a man thing. <laughs> She's got broad shoulders, that's for sure. I will say this, though. About getting us to give up democracy or democratic republic, to, to say we don't need that anymore because it's bad. Nobody did more damage to this country than Bernie Sanders, and he continues to do the most damage really? to this country. Absolutely. He, he fueled people. He's preaching Marxism, basically. The dictator of the proletariat. It's nobody has any property. Everything is equal. There's red lines outside because, you know, nobody's overconsuming. It's equality for all, which in reality is is everybody's equally tortured. But he's preaching the and same. What's he saying to do that? To how is he preaching that? Like specifically? Well, the only country in the world. Recall it. The only country in the oh, world doesn't yeah, take yeah, care yeah, of its yeah, citizens. Yeah. Free education. You can't graduate. You can't get a job. You can't get a job. You go to prison. That's that's his type of. <laughs> He said that, though. That's funny, but he actually – he tweeted that out. If you can't go to college, if, you know, maybe if we had free education, we wouldn't have as many people in prison. And No, you would have more people. Then you couldn't get a job even with a college I know. That, that's what people don't get. It's like if everybody it's has a college degree, nobody has a college degree. It's all a bunch of bullshit. It's a, right. it's a checkmark mentality that – really demeans people. It doesn't personally empower them. It just Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. And totally agree. He goes around, he still does all this shit all the time. He's he's on every network, like, you know, once a month he hits he hits a different network each week and his his followers have I mean, they're enthusiastic. They are like the Bernie bros. They're still I, it would not surprise me if he ran again. And I don't know if he's trying to w- run to win, but He's running to spread his philosophy, and it's working. He's kind of old, isn't he? He's old, but he's found his his fame late in life, and yeah. people are rallying behind him. And these the, this group of people and Hillary supporters, they're perfectly fine with getting rid of the electoral. They're perfectly fine of fighting, violently fighting what they perceive to be nationalist this is i mean people see this because it's the left and you talk about this a lot they get cover people see this as like a nice gentle movement this is not a nice gentle movement not in the least bit i mean these people are more than willing to be violent yeah like obama's speech last week about how we're so civilized. Oh my gosh, that was all over the news this week. All yeah, over the news. I know. This was not the Obama speech, but that theme, which was Jeff Blake and I guess Corker he said he was resigning, but Jeff Blake said he was resigning, senator from Arizona, because Trump is, uh, you know, whatever Hitler. <laughs> Just a paraphrase he didn't actually say that but what so i was accidentally on cnn which i normally cannot tolerate at all i can barely tolerate fox but cnn just i was it's just such propaganda they were all propaganda but the cnn one it's emotional propaganda and uh i guess all propaganda is emotional. i just don't like it so i'm listening and they're but it's interesting to listen to them because they really lay out 
what they're trying, how they're trying to brainwash people. And they said, the problem is we are uncivilized. We are now uncivilized because of Trump. And this I pegged with that whole vulgarity thing when Vicente Fox launched that PSYOP in February uh, 2016, I guess. It, so, uh, but, but Obama's speech last week said, we're, people are so mean to each other. Why don't we, you know, deliberately divisive, divisive, he said. Why don't, you know, why are people like that, you know? And we outed him on the WSB show that he's actually, one of his organizations is funding Indivisible, which is, is just newspeak for divide and conquer. It is newspeak. That's what it is. They're uncivilized as well. They have Antifa. They're the ones who are wearing masks and throwing Molotov cocktails. There's a new show about crowd psychology and crowdsourcing. Yeah. The basic premise of the show is this guy lost his daughter, and he's a big tech guy, so he's using technology to use people, use the masses to solve crimes. The wisdom of the crowd. Lost her to death or kidnapping? Death. The wisdom of the crowd is what it's called, and it's an unsolved Ugh. crime. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is new speed. So the show opens up last week's edition of it did opened up with a scene that might as well have been pulled from the vice documentary of the charlottesville the protest the night before there were these guys you know walking around going you will not replace us and that's how it opened the show opened with these guys that all looked like nazis walking around going you will not replace us the only thing is is that the production quality on the television show was not as good as the Vice documentary production quality that everybody in the news was spreading around the next day. So it's, you know, if you only looked at it in passing, you might have thought that, it, that the news was playing a clip of it or that it was happening again. And then it cuts to a guy on the stage that looks like, I can't remember the guy's name, but that white national, uh, Richard, Richard Spencer. Spencer. It looks like Richard Spencer, short haircut, <laughs> looks like a Nazi. The face of Nazis. He's up there talking He's about the, the new poster yeah, boy. The purity of white people, right? And then it cuts to the police station right after that, or, or it cuts to an anchor who, who talks about um, anti-racist protesters confronted white nationalist Nazis last night. And I'm like, oh my god, anti-racist <laughs> protesters? This is propaganda right here. I think you said that. But that theme permeates. The fact that the Vice documentary, the Vice footage was better than a produced show gives me, uh, you know, I'm like, this is all produced. You know what I mean? It's all produced. Richard Spencer, I, I do not think he... Oh, he's actually backed by somebody. I was, I can tree wrote an article about him. I forget the guy... Regnery? Anyway, Spencer represents some uh, moneyed and powerful elements. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if ideology is at the heart of any of this stuff or if um, just gratuitous division is the, is the point. I don't know what, where in this, in the chain are true believers but a lot of this stuff, I mean, there are books written about the how many Ku Klux Klan members were FBI agents like 100 years ago. Yeah. Or not 100 years ago because the FBI isn't that old, but maybe 80 years ago. Yeah, that's how they do it. They Just like they do it, they go in, they radicalize people. This is, like you said last week, that's how they stop so many 
terrorist attacks. Whenever they've stopped 10 terrorist attacks, it's probably because they radicalized nine of them and knew it was coming. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, 10 of them. Well, most of them. You know what I found is interesting? I, like, never, ever believe in unintended consequences. I think it's called Hanlon's razor. Never attribute to malice what you can attribute to incompetence. Yeah. I think that very expression is a psychological manipulation. I think it's the exact opposite. If somebody does something that benefits the agenda and they say they didn't mean to, don't believe them. Yeah, you know? well, I completely like agree. That. That's a misdirection. Yeah, okay. That's the whole so, – that's the policy. That's how propaganda works right there. That's how they keep people off guard is sayings like that. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Those sayings that just like – I tell people like question your assumptions. And I mean your adages, your old wives' tales, like all of it or the new wives' tales. But I have an example, I think, of unintended consequences or at least a limited hangout, which is they're going to tolerate it for the greater agenda. Yeah. My experience, this is it. My experience taking Ubers, I'm a big user of Ubers. I mean, if Uber were not destined to be a wedge to get us all into driverless cars and electric vehicles and not owning our own cars and not being able to have... Guns, gold, and a getaway. Those are the three things. Gerald Salente. I don't know what to think about him, but I used to find him Gerald Salente, that guy? Yeah. He said uh, he his tagline is guns, gold, and a getaway. And those are the three things. You know, Uber, Bitcoin, and obviously guns are in the, in the uh, crosshairs, if you will. So they got to get rid of the getaway, too. And Uber is... is I think very clearly and have thought from the beginning a way to eliminate car ownership and to eliminate vehicles that run off the grid as in gasoline driven vehicles or all whatever. So, but when I, but for now, Ubers are driven by human beings who are from other countries are from other, uh, a variety of ethnicities. I mean, you can get an Uber driver from, from even different walks of life. You can get filmmakers, philosophy majors, you can get housewives, actresses. I mean, there was some chick, she seemed super trailer park. And, uh, and she was saying, uh, I don't know what town it is, but so many movies are being made in Atlanta that she gets all this work as an extra. And she's, she's got, she's a single mom and, she drives Uber. You just get such a perspective on what's really going on all over the place. And I've been having conversations lately. I happen to have uh, a couple of black guys in a row who's just doing a part-time thing, had, had careers during the day, and uh, so had perspectives from different industries and stuff. And I just, like, launch in immediately to this is all bullshit. And we're – because they'll start saying, can you believe Trump? said that to that widow and it's like what do you care about that that's stupid you don't even know if it really happened did you know that they're listening to everything you say and if you start making political noise they don't like they're going to arrest you on kitty porn charges like (laughs) did you know about that did you just hear that on the news i'm telling you by the end of the conversation by the time i get to my destination we are really have really start to understand each other and we all we agree every one of them agrees with me you win some converts Huh? You win some converts. No, that's not. I'm saying that that's not it. That they actually already know. Yeah. But they're being refocused so that I, by starting this conversation, and forget it, if you talk to foreigners, you can just <laughs> launch into the war on terror and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> What's that all about? 
So, uh, but what I'm saying is, is by talking about that, which is something that unites us all, there's no, they don't look at me and think, well, you don't understand because you are a person of privilege or whatever, uh, that we're completely on the same page and we could all agree to the same political action and priorities if we could only talk to each other. And I think Uber facilitates that greatly and, and they will pull the plug on it before Uber Lyft. I guess Lyft has passed the baton to Lyft. That's interesting. You think that one of the reasons they're going to take Uber out is because people are able to have individual conversations during the no, ride? No, it's not one of the reasons. But I think that they're not afraid of that because by the time that actually developed real power, Uber will have converted to driverless anyway. Yeah. So maybe take five years for that cultural shift to take place. And then by then, I mean, because I give people my card to this program. <laughs> so you've got people everywhere I go. I mean, I've even done it in England. I remember one guy who was like a super scary looking Middle Eastern guy, super nice guy, but he just, you know, <laughs> people can look crazy when they don't cut their hair and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so he just looked crazy. And, uh, now my own brother looked exactly the same, the exact same kind of hair. It's like, dude, you look crazy. And he was a, my friend was a welder. So he'd be wearing coveralls and be covered in soot from like <laughs> his crazy huge hair. His entire body, you know, just like the goggles of his eyes would be the only thing. It's just like, dude, you know, and you'd be, I remember running into him at the mall once. He was getting off the bus from the city and I was like in high school and I was like, dude, I can't, you look like a crazy lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> he felt insulted. I felt so bad. So anyway, there's a guy like that driving me around in a cab in London. And uh, he said, I don't know what country he's from. He's like, why? I told him about my show. I gave him my card. He said, you shouldn't do this. This is not right. You have children. You should be careful. I was like, I don't really know anything, and I'm wrong a lot, so I feel safe. But uh, but I'm just saying, like, if you, you can start a conversation. A lot of people have their suspicions about the true nature of power in the world and the real threat to us and our children from a point of, like, you know, encroaching tyranny, dictatorship, world, tyrannical dictatorship, and oh, you can yeah. reach people right away. It's not that hard to start that conversation. Well, well that's – that's the, the propaganda theme is essentially the same to every group. They just focus the, the reason for the pain, for the misery, for the threat onto a different enemy. I mean everybody's – everybody preaches you've been wronged. Here's why you've been wronged. These are the people that wronged you. I'm going to fix it. And this, that's just – it. really everybody wants the same thing. It's uh, Maslow's – was it the, the hierarchy of needs? Hierarchy everybody of essentially needs, yeah. wants the same thing. They just focus the reason that they don't have their discontent. They take the common yes. discontent and they focus it elsewhere. They focus it I on know. a different enemy. Yeah. Have I told you how tragic I find that? That um, – so I as a – I grew up in a okay a, a family in crisis. I would say that my older, like the brother I was talking to you about, who died of I think ACT poisoning. <laughs> um, that like there were two generations, so it was like almost twenty years between 
him and me. And so he grew up in the 60s. I grew up in the 80s. And uh, I was very insecure. We didn't have any money. My clothes were not, you know, I couldn't, I would get in trouble at Catholic school for not having the right clothes. I'm like, look, this is totally beyond my control. <laughs> like, why are you, why are you punishing me? So it was just not good. And I was very insecure and rightly so. I didn't even really know how to behave. Uh, I was like, my house was full of these really edgy teenagers and trouble and, you know, that's how it is. And my parents were really Catholic, which didn't help us get adjust to the counterculture and all that kind of stuff, post-counterculture. So I know what it's like to be profoundly insecure about everything from my behavior to my appearance to uh, economic status. Even, honestly, I know this sounds crazy, but the color of my skin. I mean, just being in a, a, you know, culturally we were Irish, but my father's half German, half Syrian. Now they were Syrian Christians. And my grandmother grew up in an Irish convent in Brooklyn. So I culturally, I'm not connected to that culture, but I just looked out of place uh, among the Irish. And um, so I understand insecurity. And when, and I remember when I went to Harvard, so I dropped out of high school, I went to community college, I ended up at Harvard. And I, and there was a gal, she was like half Polish and half Iraqi. And she was, had a very European attitude. And, and at Harvard, there were all these, like, they're called finals clubs. They're kind of like fraternities. They're only for men. There weren't any for women, if I recall. And uh, if I went to visit, you know, if they had a party or whatever, females had to go in the back door. <laughs> And I remember looking around thinking, these guys, get their parents get each other, get them jobs. You know, the jobs I want, these guys, parents have to offer the dads, and they're giving them to their friends. So it doesn't look like nepotism, but they're just swapping it around. And for the first and probably only time in my life, I felt really uh, underprivileged. And this chick who was basically socialist was like, yeah, see, the system's stacked against you. There's nothing you can do. You're a victim. She didn't say it that way, but that's what she said. And, like, for one fleeting moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is hopeless. I don't know what to do. And then I just tried. You know, I tried to get one of the jobs. And and I did. I did get it. And then, like, that was kind of like the nadir, the low point of my emotional life. But when I hear the identity manipulators tell you that you can't have this or you can't have that because – you're female or um, because of the ethnic group you come from or like your economic status. To me, if you hear that too many times and you're told also that the other people, the people you see doing the things you want to do, it's easier for them to get up in the morning. You know, moms will understand that because a dad will hand you a crying baby and say, well, it's easier for you to deal with it. It's like, no, it's not easier for me to deal with it. I'm just dealing with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm getting up and I'm taking a shower. I'm going to this crappy job and I'm going to work 80 hours a week for the next 40 years so that I don't end up living hands to mouth like my parents. And, and I just feel like that kind of constant, the entire society, your entire culture, like tens of millions of people on your side of the aisle are telling you that your success is beyond your control I actually find that like terribly immoral, like a real, you know, I have a funny definition of sin. To me, that's a sin. Yeah. That reminds me of a South Park that was on a couple of weeks ago. 
where they played on the identity politics theme that's been going on. Did you see that? I used to love that show, but it just, even for a Bulgarian like myself, that was too vulgar. So you haven't seen <laughs> it that? It just gets so gross that I can't, I can't watch it unless someone tells me to watch it, so I have not All seen right. it. Well, I'm going to play it for you because I think we need to wrap, wrap up pretty soon, don't we? Yes, thank you so much. Did I wax uh, emotional on you there? I didn't mean to be long-winded. No, no you're fine. You're good. It's very. It's good to get to learn some of those insights about your upbringing. What made you the woman that you are today? <laughs> the dog poop picker upper that I <laughs> part-time podcaster. <laughs> I love being able to use my mind. I do, and I really do not. I I shouldn't complain because I don't mind uh, serving domestically because I feel like to this day the essence of human life is keeping the cave clean. And bringing in the occasional carcass. You know what I mean? So my yeah. husband goes and gets the carcass, and I keep the cave clean. And you can gussy it up. Just call it whatever you want, but there's no shame in uh, either of those roles, however they manifest themselves in your modern life. And they pay your husband with carcasses? Basically. Yeah, all, right. all right. I mean, I think everybody gets paid ultimately in a carcass. All right. Check this out. Hey. That's right. You! Wouldn't you like to know the story of you? What makes you, you? DNA and Me is a genetic service that can help you find out exactly who your ancestors were. You might be surprised. I thought I was just a standard white guy, but DNA and Me showed that I'm actually 4.2% Cherokee Indian. Turns out I'm not totally white. I'm also part Northern Asian and even some Kurdish. I'm a victim of oppression. <laughs> I used to get in trouble for always using the N-word. But with DNA and me, I found out that I'm 2.1% black. Morning, Steve. Stop, nigga. <laughs> oh the test is easy. Simply swab the inside of your mouth and send it into our labs. People made fun of me for being French. DNA and me showed I was 8% Navajo. Nobody's making fun of me now or my people who are victims. I'm 13% victim. I'm 21% victim. Order now and find out if your friends should be more sympathetic towards you. DNA and me. Are you in? Hell f***ing yes, I'm in. <laughs> it's so true. People it like is. you more. It is. They nailed it. I'm 2.5% Neanderthal. Yeah. You yeah, you told me that. I, the, char- the main character on South Park in that episode ends up being, I think, like 2 or 3% Neanderthal. Yeah, who What's interesting is, uh, like a week later, SNL does a a sketch that is basically the exact same premise, which is fine. A lot of people are going to have that premise, but theirs was completely humor humorless because they could not they could not let go of their their hate. It, it was so hate. They couldn't make fun of it. It was all about oh. Trump. If they could just be unbiased or you know make fun of everybody instead of just everything being how much they hate 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 then it might be funny but they can't do I remember it. yeah i remember when it changed when it changed when george w bush was running for re-election in 2004 john stewart daily show stopped being funny because he couldn't because I think they looked back and realized that when they made fun of George W. Bush, they humanized him. So they couldn't even joke around and make it truly funny. They had to just make it mean and demeaning. 
That's yeah. And that wasn't funny. And Colbert, who used to work with him, Colbert does these kind of similar to what I do, where I cut things up to make it look like I'm interviewing Trump or somebody like that. He'll do these like two minute cuts of that. And the last one I saw him do, he did like one or two mildly funny, but it's still so hate filled. It's not even the tone of it. it the timing is off. Just the tone, like it, it's not funny when you're clearly angry, or, or at least your tone right. is angry. And- and you really had your finger on the pulse of the Kimmel stuff because I don't know if I sent you both articles. One was in the Wall Street Journal, and I think the other one might have been in the New York Times, some other huge mainstream thing, talking about how Kimmel has gotten politically edgy and uh, his his moral compass has you know gone into overdrive or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. Because he's, he's using his platform for good, as we all should. Right. So Colbert, though, he, he did, like, very brief. He, he attempted to be humorous with it. And then he ends it by – it was only like a minute-and-a-half sketch. He ends it by going, Mr. President, do you mind if I speak freely? And then you know it cuts to Trump going, yeah, whatever. And then Colbert spends the last 45 seconds of the sketch going, I think you're a disgrace to this society, and you're the worst thing that's ever happened to the presidency, and you're going to destroy – I mean just this real – That sounds like Jeff Flake. Angry – like who? Jeff Flake made a speech like that, a Republican, on the Senate floor announcing his resignation. Well, not his resignation, yeah. but that he's not going to run for office. I mean, it was really outrageous. The, uh, Colbert made it look like he was talking to Trump because he edits it. Yeah, like yeah. He's, like he's, like, yeah, like he's a tough power. guy, you know? And, and just give me a break. And there's nothing funny about it. And he's, Could Colbert. you imagine getting in a fight with Colbert? I mean, seriously. Could you – I just – there's nothing tough about that guy. Like a wet paper bag. Not even. I feel like he's one of those things outside the uh, used car dealership where it's the wind blowing in. Yeah. (laughs) On that note, I guess we should wrap it up. All right. That concludes another episode of the Propaganda Report. Thank you so much, Binkley. This is Monica Perez. See you next time. See you later.